Well, we come together around this portion of God's Word, Psalm 66, keeping in mind uh, not only the Queen's grammar, but also uh, the whole point of that. This is a fairly, this is a passage about our, our very mighty God, our mighty, mighty God. And so we approach this portion of Scripture uh, remembering that He has inspired it for our blessing and benefit. Psalm 66, to the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads We went through fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke. The sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will tell what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth. And high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. Let us pray. Our most gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we pray that Your Word would now be an open book, that the words on Your page would indeed leap out to us, that that they would be applied to ear and and to mind and to heart, uh, to the level of conscience and and change in life. O God, we do ask that Your mighty Word that does not return void would have its way in our souls 
This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Psalm 65 gives praise to God for creation and for redemption. But this evening we turn to Psalm 66. Similar to it, it gives praise to God but for redemption accomplished and redemption personal and applied. It's a wonderful psalm. It's one that, that leaps out to us from the page, that, that shakes us and speaks of God's mighty hand, of His great ability, but also reflects historically on His activities down through the years in the unfolding of redemptive history, how the Lord indeed has blessed His people with salvation, true and sure, in Christ. And so let us hear the psalmist as he sings. He begins with language suitable for a call to worship that we use this evening. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Here we are called, along with all of the peoples and all flesh, Even the animals in the creation, all of the earth is called to sing in praise and glory to God. In the broadest and most universal of terms, the big wide brush is taken out and and it streaks across the canvas and leaves its mark. We are to give praise to God from the depths of our hearts and praise that is filled with joy in adoration of His name. He is the object of our and and everyone else's praise who has breath. We are to sing to Him and to glory in His name. There's something of an echo in the text here because the little introduction, which is in the original, tells us that this is not just uh, for someone to read, but it's for the choir master to use with the choir or the people of God. We're not given the exact historical context in which it was originally given. It, it doesn't say a psalm of David like the previous one said. Uh, perhaps it was written by David. Perhaps it was in a generation or two later. It sounds as if it is familiar with tabernacle and, and perhaps even temple worship of God as well. But whatever the case, it's announced as a song. It's to be sung from the heart a psalm which God has inspired and that we are to use to shout for joy to His name. And then, we are also called to praise Him for His mighty works. Verse 3 says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds! So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. The first word placed in your mouth by this psalm is a word of joy and of praise to our Heavenly Father. But the second word that is placed in your mouth is more narrow and specific. You are to give Him thanks and to sing His praise for the great and mighty things that He has done. Here the psalmist is teaching us a great truth that our worship of God is not merely something that is experiential. It's not merely something that that has the, the seas of emotions crashing within us. Certainly, 
The Lord gives us such blessings and they are expressed in our lives in His kind providence on the various occasions in which He calls us to regularly worship Him as our life goes through up and down. But here we're taught that there's more than just emotion. There's also to be great thought, great concentration, great reflection. Think about all the ups and downs of your life. Times in which you have been on the mountaintop and not wanted to come down. You know, that's fairly easy for the younger set here to imagine tonight because they have been on a mountaintop all week with VBS. They have come into the sanctuary. They have clapped. They have sung with the with their heart and their voices at full tilt. They have enjoyed learning about God and learning about His Word and hearing His name be glorified by others. Their teachers, their, their pastors, their parents, their friends. But it's not just emotion that we come before the Lord with that's of a high and and a glorious type, we also are to praise Him regularly. We come before Him shouting for joy. We come before Him with His praise on our lips in the down times of life as well. When we are exhausted, when we are broken, when we have been humbled, there are occasions on which He reaches down and He picks up our poor slumbering head and He says through the psalmist, Yes, child, rise and sing my praise even now. And his praise also is to be filled with his awesome and mighty deeds. We are to think of God. We are to think of him biblically and theologically. We are to praise him in light of what he has done and is doing and will do. We are to remember that he is the one who is not just important to praise and and to give worship to in some abstract or vague sense, but very particularly and peculiarly, we are to look at the world and we are with the psalmist to join our voice that His power, His power is mighty. His hand is outstretched over His enemies. He reaches out in judgment and He coerces them to come. He is the one who is in charge. He rules by His mighty scepter and power. They come to worship Him in joy, their heart and life having been changed, or else they come cowering before Him, cringing in His presence because of His triumph over their life. Oh, our God is mighty, mighty, and is to be praised. And we are to also praise Him not only because of the past or, or in terms of the past, but also with a vision for the future. We are to praise Him in His future plans as they unfold. Listen to verse 4. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And then there's that little mark or indication of pause in the margin. A shalah where we are supposed to wait and ruminate on the text. Now, all the earth does not obey this command. There are kingdoms. There are powers. There are principalities. 
There are people who resist God and refuse to come and worship Him. Yes, they will come cowering. And yes, even now there are times when they come broken and confessing His name in need of Him. But one day, as He unfolds His great and glorious sovereign plan, all of human flesh will come before Him for judgment. From every tongue and tribe and people and nation they will gather. And His glorious praise will echo in every language in the great hall of worship yet to come. And so we shall see it with resurrected eyes and with minds and ears tuned to His praise and to His glory, seeing our glorious Jesus again face to face, all the earth will worship Him. All the earth will sing praises to Him. All the earth will sing praises to His name. And you, indeed, shall see it. But it's not just the future upon which our praise resides. But we also praise God for His past, for His past works that He has done that have wonderful and magnificent implications for our life today. The psalmist changes gears at verses 4 to 5, and he begins reflecting on how God deserves praise for His mighty redemptive works of the past. Verse 5, calls you to come and to join the song. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. Now here you begin to wonder. I've stopped and, and heard the echo of the sound of the need to give joyous praise to God for all His mighty name and works. And I have been called to think down through the ages to see with the eye the future that is yet to come of His name being praised by every tongue and tribe and people and nation. But now I'm being called to recall the past, to see what God has done, to see that He is awesome towards the likes of men and women and boys and girls just like me. And verse 6 calls us to praise Him for the mighty exodus that He worked through Moses. He turned the sea into dry land. And so there we are, singing with our whole heart right there beside Charlton Heston as the staff is raised and the water piles up on either side. And then we read, they passed through the river on foot. And so we think of the, of the countless thousands upon thousands of the Son of Israel going through the Red Sea on dry ground and passing to the other side. And about halfway across our mind realizes, no, that's not what the text says. It says, He turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the river on foot. And so our mind's eye goes rushing forward to the Jordan to that occasion on which the sons of Israel were called not to marvel at the splitting of the Red Sea, but to have faith in their God who had been faithful to them, 
who had caused the clothes not to wear off on their back, who had caused manna to come from heaven, who had given them water from a rock that followed them wherever they went. And they were caused, called to step out in faith, to step out in faith into the river and trust the Lord on the ground of the river Jordan below. And they did. They did walk across on dry land. On dry land across the Jordan they passed and they went into the promised land. We are to praise God for His great exodus work in Egypt. The splitting of the Red Sea. The plagues that led up to it. The pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day for the Lord restraining the Egyptians and smashing them to smithereens in in the great collapsing waters, protecting His people, bringing them out a mighty nation who had gone down just a small family. And we are to praise Him for the glorious conquest as they stepped out into the Jordan, as they went into the land. Verse 7 continues to remind us who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. We remember the cities of Canaan. We remember the peoples in that place as the terror of God fell upon them as one mountaintop city after another was conquered by the people of God, not because of their mighty hand, not because of their great strength, but in the strangest and most magnificent of ways, even as they marched around a city, even as they sang praise to God and shouted, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Oh, in the conquest of the land, God taught His people, that His name was to be praised. And so then in verses 8 to 12, we have something of a musical interlude where we are called to take two steps back. We've stared at the particular great mountaintop events of the exodus under Moses and and the conquest which later followed. And we see again in broad and general terms that God is to be praised for the promised deliverance that He's brought to His people. The terminology here is is broad and general enough to help us see the importance of transition from those particular and peculiar events of redemptive history to the relevance of this same mighty God in your life and in mine. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. You know, I'm reminded of that sermon by Jonathan Edwards where he preached just on a little phrase from the psalm, their feet shall slip in due time. Slipping and falling. You know, this South Carolina boy has an Adversion to ice and snow in all forms on the ground. Uh, the only way that ice should be delivered is, is in a cup at the drive-through at Chick-fil-A. But when it coats the ground and, and when it coats the, 
trees and the pines and their branches break and, and the power lines come out and, and the lights go out and, and it's too slick to even walk outside your door. I have no interest in such an experience at all. And so I moved to Texas. God has not allowed our feet to slip. He has not allowed us to hit our head upon the pavement. He has kept us upright and whole and body and soul together. In the broadest and most general terms, here the psalmist is helping us to digest and to reflect on God's redemption and deliverance in its relevance to your life and mine. All of us in these stanzas can find ourselves and find thanksgiving to give back to God for His blessing and benefit over and over and over again in our lives. For you, O God, verse 10, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. And so we think back upon the hot furnace, the crucible of suffering in which we have lived at various points in our lives. Perhaps the fires of temptation. Perhaps the fires of confusion and disorientation of mind and heart and life. Perhaps the fires of testing that come on occasion where we lose heart in ourselves as well as in God. Perhaps occasion on which we don't know which way is up and how to find the strength to carry on another day. Here the psalmist is placing in your mouth a song to encourage your soul. A psalm to teach your soul how rightly to feel. You need to feel that even those times of burden and difficulty and heartache and fire have been intended by God for your ultimate blessing and benefit and holiness. You know, it's no fun to be in the crucible. But the Christ-likeness that is purchased in depths of your soul that you yourself perhaps may never understand makes it all worthwhile and right and just and glorious for your Heavenly Father to call you through. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet You have brought us out to a place of abundance. Here the psalmist is inspired to speak of the sweep all the way from Egypt and into the promised land. They had been slaves. They had felt the whip on their back and the crush of the weight of stones upon their shoulders and their necks. Their Egyptian taskmasters and pharaohs certainly had walked upon them and it crushed them into the ground. But going through such fire and water, 
they could then confess rightly to their Heavenly Father in joyous, song-filled praise that He had brought them to a place of abundance and therefore goodness and of undeserved grace. Oh, sing praise to God. Sing praise to Him for His past works in the exodus, in the conquest, in the deliverance. You see, this just aren't any old events of history. What God is doing is teaching you here that you in your own life and the burdens that you have faced and the temptations and difficulties that you have had to bear need to look back and draw strength from Him in His mighty work of redemption, in His mighty work through redemptive history. It's not just Moses and it's not just the children of Israel that are being talked about here because they themselves are not just individuals gathered by happenstance on the stage of history clumped together at this time. They were acting out the most glorious opera or play in all of history, which symbolized and prepared the way for us to see and understand the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as He went into the far country for us, as He indeed suffered and died that we might enter the promised land of glory and have fellowship with His heavenly Father forever. This is language about redemptive history. And so it's language about what Jesus has done. His great work on our behalf. Has He not brought you out of Egypt? Has He not seen you through the wilderness of temptation? Has He not brought you into the abundance of His goodness and His mercy and His love? And is that not relevant to you in every moment of your living as you wake up in the morning and as you go through all the day? Are you not united with Christ and feasting on all of His benefits? Sing praise to God for the redemption that He has accomplished for you and even in its application in you to His glory. And then the psalmist turns and sings praise to God for His present situation in life, for His present work. In verse 13 he says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings and fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Now I've got news for you. I'm not a, I'm not a farm boy, so all these animals don't actually appeal to me very much. The only part that kind of gets me interested is about the bulls because that's as close to barbecue as I can get. But to the audience of the day, when it was placed into their mouths, this was a sign of great rejoicing and enthusiasm. You see, the psalmist switches and he speaks in the first person singular. He is here teaching us that we need to sing to God not just about what He's done out there for all the earth and all of them, 
And not even just what He's done for us in some corporate sense, though great that is. But we need to step up to the microphone and we need to bear witness one to another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need to testify what God has done for me. We need to praise Him that we have a very good reason to go into His sanctuary and to take our offerings to Him. Back to Him as He has appointed. Now in the Old Covenant, they brought rams and, and bulls and goats. This is a sign of prosperity. You see, if they were in poverty and there was a if there was a famine or there was a drought, they would be bringing a little turtle dove in their pocket that they had snared. But they are bringing in a bull and a set of goats and they are offering sacrifice to the Lord and, and the smoke is billowing up from the altar and God's name is being gloriously praised. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. Here the psalmist is testifying to us. The psalmist is testifying to you that God has done great things for him that have reached down and touched his life and changed his day. And he reflexively, in doxological response to what God has done for him, is going to come into his sanctuary. That's what we did this morning and what we're doing tonight. We have reason to gather together. Yes, God calls us to worship. He says, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give Him glorious praise. And so we come and we worship Him. But you, you also need to come because you have something for which to be thankful. Because you come in thankfulness to God to give your praise and worship and adoration to Him. You've got a reason to sing His praise at the top of your lungs and not to let your mouth be stopped. Now, I don't see any of you with a goat pulled by a cord into the church building today. Matthew Campbell gives you thanks. Because we're in the New Covenant era now. All of that Old Testament shadow and and glorious opera has been fulfilled. And God now calls us to worship in substance rather than merely in shadow as before. And so we've come before Him with the sacrifice of praise and glory and adoration. Yes, even Presbyterians come in that way. And we come not just with outward joy, but with inward joy. And with thankfulness from the depths of our hearts. And a determination renewed by the encouragement that He gives us from His Word to adore His name and to remember Him as He has appointed for the richness of His redemption that He has given us. And He calls us to praise Him with testimony or homily. Verse 16 says, Come and hear all you hear for fear God, and I will tell what He has done for my soul. 
Do you do that? Do you bear witness to others? Not in a tacky way necessarily, in a, in a straightforward and clear way. Do you look for opportunity to give praise to God and thanksgiving to Him, to respond to His redemption and His goodness by calling others to hear and to be encouraged by the work that He has done in your life? Come and hear all you here fear God, and I will tell you, tell you what He's done for my soul. I cried to Him, the psalmist said. I cried to Him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Here, the psalmist is letting us know that he has gone before the Lord in worship. He has gone before His heavenly Father, and He has poured out His prayers and petitions to Him. And then he tells us a little more about the nature of those prayers and petitions. I cried out to him with my mouth, but he does so joyfully. And high praise was on my tongue. And then in verse 18, he reflects upon the content of his prayer. He says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. Brethren, this is not a, a statement of meriting and earning God's favor so that if you do just the right thing, that He'll give you just the right answer you want. God is not a Coke machine. We you pop in the quarter and press the button and out comes the soda. The language used here is descriptive of what the context is about. The worshiper, the psalmist, is describing what he's holding in his heart as a petition to God as he comes before Him in worship. And that which he is beseeching, begging, praying to God for, it's an honorable and a good and a godly thing rather than a wicked and an evil and a horrible thing. What he's praying for is not detestable to God. What he's praying for is in accordance with his word. He's in line with the will of God declared with his prayer. And so he's not praying for a fancy car for its own sake. He's not praying for a yacht or for gold or riches or or the multiplication of his portfolio by a hundredfold so he can strut in finer clothing in front of all the world. He is cherishing in his heart and bringing before the Lord that which God has already first given him. A godly desire. A prayer to be used in his kingdom. A prayer that God would bless in the way that he has promised. He seeks good rather than evil. Now, of course, our problem is that we live in a fallen world and we're finite creatures. And it is impossible for us to know what really good is in a providential sense in this life. You may, you may long for a certain person to, to be in political power. And then you get that and what happens? It's like dust that falls through your fingers and there is disappointment and heartache. You may pray for resources that you can do mighty things and and then in this fallen world, 
it turns not to gold but to ashes and is a trap and it endangers your soul and that of others. Oh, the Lord. The Lord here is showing us through His psalmist that we must cherish His moral law and His kingdom priorities. His gospel must call the tune in what we pray. We go before God praying in the name of Jesus according to His purpose and will with all of our petitions. And He is sure to answer us. Yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I had cherished the detestable in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, the Lord has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And then in the last verse, He calls us to praise Him for His grace. Blessed be God, because He's not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. The covenant love of God is the punctuation at the end, the period at the end of this psalm. It's the last thing left ringing in our ears that we might know that from beginning to end, the joy that we have, the praise that we bring, the works of redemptive history, His application of them in our heart and life, that we can go to Him in prayer and that He can answer our prayers in Christ, that all of this happens because of His grace and not at all because of us. Here. Here. The song of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we do ask that Your tune might ring in our heart. We pray that this song might stick with us and it might change the way that we think and feel and live. By Your grace we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.